0: I have a good news story for us all, for anyone that's ever failed at anything. If you've ever felt like a failure at anything, this is a story for you. If you've ever wondered, God can't possibly use me, this is a, this is a wonderful story uh, about one of the great heroes, certainly of the Jewish people and indeed of, of the Christian faith, one of the, one of the legends of faith, Moses himself. This is a story about how God uses Failure. The story goes back in the 1980s. Hands up if you're old enough to remember the 1980s. Hands up if you're old enough to own a computer back in the 1980s. Apple IIc, I had one. Back in the 1980s, when IBM was the big dog on campus in the world of computing, and if, that's right, great, big, huge things like this, uh, IBM was, uh, the, was the, the place you wanted to work at. And the story goes. A young executive made a very poor decision that ended up costing the company $10 million, which, you know, back in 1980s, money was about $10 trillion, I think, but uh, (laughs) such is inflation. It ended up costing the company $10 million. The founder of the company, Tom Watson, called the young fellow into his office. The young guy sheepishly walked into the boss's office and said, well, I suppose you want my resignation." Tom Watson said, resignation? We just spent $10 million educating you. Why would I want you to resign? (laughs) Tom Watson saw it as an opportunity to learn from this young guy's failures. This is a story today that we've got about a, a failure. It's a story about how God takes 40 years, in fact, to educate another young man by the name of Moses who fails terribly in his first ham-fisted attempt to bring freedom to his people. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't paper over the failures of its heroes. I mean, let's go through the list. Already by the time we get Exodus, already we've had uh, Noah getting drunk and exposing himself. Uh, Abraham, the the father of faith, great father Abraham, has on two occasions already lied about his wife being his sister. His son Isaac... Did the same. Jacob, of course, was a real deceiver, a real nasty piece of work. He lied to his father, swindled his brother out of his out of his birthright. Uh, David later on, another uh, great Jewish hero, of course, uh, falls into sin, into adultery with Bathsheba, and then has her husband murdered in an attempt to cover it up. All of the disciples, of course, well, they're a bunch of, of Muppets. They abandoned Jesus in his hour of, of need. Uh, The leader, Peter, well, he was a particularly rash and impulsive kind of a guy who denied even knowing Jesus when Jesus most needed a friend. Uh, Mark had to bail out. He he bailed out on his first missionary journey. The guy who wrote Mark's Gospel, he was travelling around with with Paul. He decided this is not for me and he bails out. And here in our text today, Moses, the great hero of the Jewish people, murders an Egyptian, Is is it? He's a murderer. He gets rejected by his own fellow Hebrews. His own countrymen reject him. He, he runs for his life. He flees for his life and spends 40 years in the desert. This is a story how God can, can use each of us, even when we failed miserably. It's a story that teaches that our failures cannot stop God working his good and perfect plan for our lives. The story of how some of the best lessons we get in life come from some of the worst moments in life. If you were with us last week, you will have heard the story that Moses was born, and was miraculously saved by, by three amazing women. We know that he's been adopted uh, by Pharaoh's daughter, he's been raised as a prince of Egypt, he's a, enjoyed a privileged upbringing as, uh, in, in, the, in the palaces of Egypt. We pick up the story today when he's 40 years old. We know that Moses is 40 years old at this point. We also, by the way, we also know that it's going to be another 40 years before God calls Moses to go and confront Pharaoh with his famous message to to let my people go. But that's next week. But for the time being, uh, Moses is a a grown man about 40 years of age. The great uh, American evangelist D.L. Moody says, Moses spent the first 40 years thinking he was somebody, the second 40 years realising he was a nobody, and his final 40 years realising what God can do with a nobody. That's the story of Moses. Let's pick up the story at Exodus chapter 2. Open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. i be reading from verse 11. It would be helpful to have it open and follow along, either on your phone, your device, or your hard copies are up the back. Exodus chapter 2 verse 11 through 25 says this: One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you, are you thinking of killing me like you killed that Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I've done must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs of water uh, to water their flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. When the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked them, Why are you return so early today? answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them friends let's pray Uh, Loving Lord, we pray that you might help this passage come alive for us. We pray that you might speak to us through this passage of Scripture. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And the people said? So Moses is now a grown man, and he realises he's a Hebrew, perhaps through the influence of his birth mother that that helped raise him. But he realises that he's a bit of a a fish out of water. He's been raised as a prince, but he realises that he is, in fact, a Hebrew. He realises that his people have been enslaved, they're in hard labour in Egypt. But he, nevertheless, has been educated in Egyptian high society. But things very quickly go off the rails for him with this first sort of attempt at at heeding God's call upon his life. We're told that he goes out one day to see his fellow Hebrews. So we get the sense that he knows what he's going out to do. He's going out to see his own people suffering and and being exploited and enslaved. We're told that he sees one of his fellow Hebrews being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster. Verse 12 is very telling. Have a look at it. What does he do? He looks this way and that. So he knows that what he's about to do is something that he doesn't want anybody else to know about. We don't know whether or not Moses went out that day with premeditated murder on his mind. But the end result, nevertheless, is that he ends up killing this man and and burying him in the sand. You've got to wonder what would make Moses want to do this. He's a prince of Egypt. He would have enjoyed an incredibly privileged position. But we do sense that Moses does indeed feel this sense of righteous justice welling up within. And we get the sense that the red mist just descended and he got angry and he killed this guy. Whether he meant to kill him or not, we don't know. But the end result was that he's taken a human life and tries to cover it up. The next day, he, he goes out and he sees to his own fellow Hebrews fighting. Again, you sort of get the impression that he thinks he's all that in a packet of crisps, comes up and tries to intervene and dispense God's justice. And the response in verse 14 is also very telling. If you could translate the response from his fellow Hebrew into modern day seven-year-old, basically the response is, who made you the boss of me? Right? Are you going are you, are you to kill me like you killed that Egyptian bloke yesterday? And at this, Moses panics, doesn't he? He realises word has got out. He realises that, that people know that he's a murderer. And indeed, we read that word makes its way up to Pharaoh. You get the impression that Pharaoh wouldn't have known about every single murder and altercation that took place in his kingdom. But remember, Moses is adopted grandson. So Moses finds out, uh, Pharaoh finds out about this, and indeed we read that he tries to kill Moses. So Moses gets the hell out of Dodge. Moses flees. He runs for his life. He flees to a place called Midian. Everybody say "Midian." Midian? Midian is to the east of Egypt, it's across the Red Sea on the Sinai Peninsula. It's a barren wasteland. Contrast must have been stark for Moses at this point. Moses has gone from being a prince of Egypt to tending somebody else's flocks and herds. He's gone from being a somebody to being an absolute nobody. We don't know what he went through. Scripture doesn't tell us what he was thinking and feeling. But he must have felt like an absolute failure at this point. We get the sense that he did feel God's call upon his life and he tried to have a go, but he's messed it up royally. He must have thought, this is it. It's all over. Um, Pharaoh's trying to kill me. I've blown my chance. That's it. I'm just going to live out my days out in the desert. He's living out in the boondocks and, and basically he, he makes his, his life out there in, in Midian. He must have been thinking that it's all over I'm done with. God can't possibly have anything for me to do at this point. He must have felt incredibly deflated. He must have felt like a real failure. He must have battled all sorts of depression and and confusion. So he spends the next 40 years out in a desert where God prepares him for an audacious assignment, not just to save the one man. God says, no, no, Moses, Got a much bigger plan for you. Not just to save one man, I want you to save my entire people. So it sounds pretty bleak at this point. The great hero, Moses, at this point is at a real low point. This is the point of the movie where things are looking pretty dark and pretty bleak for Moses. But it doesn't doesn't end there. There is a little ray of hope at the end of this chapter. Have a look if you've got it open at verses 24 and 25. There are some wonderful verbs. There are four beautiful, magnificent verbs that describe what God is doing at this point. God is at work behind the scenes. God is at work in ways that we can't possibly uh, discern. While Moses is in his real low point, an exile, living in a foreign land, God nevertheless he hears his people groaning. He remembers his covenant promise. He sees the Israelites. And the NIV says it's concerned, but a more a better translation is that he knew them. God hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows his people. Don't you love those verbs? By the way, God remembering here is going to be an important phrase. It is right throughout the Old Testament. God is often said to remember his covenant to, to Abraham. And when God remembers, it's, it's not a case of God having forgotten. It means that God is about to act. The last time we heard God remembering was back with Noah and the flood. Noah and his family are locked up in the ark high above the earth on the flood waters, And God remembers He's about to act. He causes the floodwaters to recede and, and liberates the people out of the ark to, to repopulate the earth. God is remembering and He is about to act. So that's the, that's the story in a nutshell. That's what's happening. That's the context. Um, but I want to I give you a few takeaways, a few lessons, a few applications. From this story today. I've got a few things that I think we can learn, a few things we can take away and apply in our lives this week. Number one, firstly, God uses imperfect people. Isn't that good news? God uses imperfect people like you and I. Someone once observed that the reason life is so difficult is because it's the opposite of school. You see, in school, you get the lesson first and then the test, whereas so often in life, you get the test and then you learn the lesson. And that's what is happening with with Moses here. He he needs to be learned and taught and shaped. I read another story this week, this time about a a bank. The old bank CEO is about to retire. The old fellow is about to retire. He's nominated his successor, a a young up-and-coming executive. Well, the young bloke was a little bit daunted about about how is he going to run this company. So he demanded a moment of the old man's time and sat him down and said, teach me what do I need to know to to, to run this company? How am I going to make this work? The old man leaned back on his chair and said, well, I've got just two words for you, son. Right decisions. <laughs> the young fellow thought about that, thought, well, that's good. But he said, how am, I, how am I going to know how to make those good decisions? The old fellow, I've got just one word for you, son. Experience. They <laughs> <laughs> go, well, that's great, sir. That's fantastic. But how am I possibly going to get this experience? The old fellow leaned back, crossed his arm with a big smile, said, just two words for you, son, bad decisions. <laughs> Making bad decisions is something that we've all experienced. We all have to endure. There's only one kind of Christian friend, and, and that, is, that is a Christian that has, has failed. We've all messed up at some point in our life. Some of us, some of us pretty, pretty badly. Moses is a flawed hero. Failure at this point that God nevertheless uses, like, like Abraham before him, David after him. So, if you feel like you're a failed Christian, please know this morning that you are not alone. This is really crippling in a lot of people's lives. Uh, you do come across this in church leadership. Okay? You come across people who come along, want to engage, but there's something in their paths, real thorn in their side. and think, God couldn't possibly want me. God couldn't possibly use me. I've got this past that means I'm not worthy. If that's you, friend, please can I encourage you to let it go, to lay it at the foot of the cross. We worship a God who is gracious, who wants to cover up your sin. Though your sins be red as scarlet, they are washed whiter than the snow. Amen? So please don't be thinking that God doesn't want to use you because of some failure in your past. Secondly, we fail whenever we act impulsively based only on emotions. We know that he that Moses was well intentioned at this point, right? We know that he went out to see his fellow Hebrews. He's, he's well intentioned at this point. We know that he was he's sort of he is righteous and zealous for, for justice. So Moses was well in intentioned, but He intervenes when the red mist descends and he he takes a course of action based on emotions. Moses had zeal without wisdom at this point. He acted on impulse, wrongly thinking that now is my time to take action to liberate my people. He hadn't hadn't waited on God. There's no sense in the text there that he's acting on God's behalf. He's just acting out of hubris. He's, 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 He's acting on his own. He's acting out of emotion. It, Moses' actions this day actually reminds me of, of, of Peter drawing his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus arrested. Do you remember that episode? Uh, Peter, another sort of impulsive sort of a character, draws his sword and lops off the ear of, of one of the attendants of, of the high priest. Now, most commentators, when you read it, think he wasn't aiming for his ear. Peter was trying to take that guy's head off. He was well-intentioned, trying to protect Jesus. He's thinking Jesus is about to come and claim the throne and kick out... It was the wrong course of action. He was acting impulsively. Moses is acting impulsively here. Or to give you a more contemporary example, where many people uh, come to faith, the music is playing and the lights are dimmed and the the smoke machine's going and you come forward. Someone maybe told you that that you're going to be healthy, wealthy and wise. If it's based only on emotion, your decision to follow Christ, it won't stick. You'll be like that seed that was scattered on the rocky ground when the sun and the heat comes up. You'll, it'll burn away your faith because you've got no root. Don't be making decisions based purely on emotions. Our emotions are, are part of who God made us. They're, they're part of the wonder of humanity. But you know, God also gave us an intellect. He also gave us reason. And he wants us to use, to use both. So next time you're tempted to act rashly, next time you're caught up in the emotion of a situation, can I encourage you to take a step back and just think, is this, is this really a wise course of action? Is this, is this really what God wants me to be doing now? Thirdly, I think we fail when we act out of our own strength, as well as acting out of our emotions. We fail when we act out of our own strength out of our own cleverness. This is a big thing for pastors and for ministers. It's a big thing to try to just do everything out of your own cleverness. I got this. I can sort this. I can I can handle this. There's no sense in the text here that, that Moses uh, was waiting on God at all. He didn't check with God at all before he did this. He looked left and right, but he never looked up at all. So Moses here is acting out of his own strength, out of his own authority, maybe as a, as a prince of of Egypt, he hasn't waited on God yet at all. It reminds me of, of Gideon, the story of Gideon, one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, a judge uh, who had a mighty army, but God actually whittled down the army just to just three hundred men before He could use Gideon. It's because he, at that point, only then when he was completely dependent upon God. Was God ready to use Gideon? Moses was well educated, but he hadn't let, yet learned about waiting on God. For guidance, A wonderful American evangelist, Chuck Swindoll, writes about this. and he, Chuck Swindoll actually thinks Moses knew that God had a special calling upon his life. He may have even known that God wanted to lead his people to freedom from bondage. But he says the problem was Moses did not bother to seek God's way or God's timing. Do you like that? Moses didn't seek God's way or God's timing at all. So like so many others in Scripture... Uh, and many still today, and to be honest, myself, if I'm honest with myself. We charge off ahead of God. We're running ahead of God. It's often when you're well trained, maybe with a few letters after your name, that you're most at risk of of running ahead of God. I I highlighted this, write this down. Self-sufficiency is incompatible with spiritual maturity. Do you like that? Self-sufficiency is incompatible with spiritual maturity maturity. It's an interesting parallel here, I think, with Moses and indeed Jesus in the wilderness. The basic temptation for Jesus out in the wilderness by Satan was the temptation to be self-sufficient. You can do this yourself, Jesus. You can turn those rocks into bread. Do it yourself. Go and claim the kingdom for yourself. You have the power to do this yourself. Self-sufficiency was really the core temptation for Jesus out in Out in the desert. So, our good motivations and no assurance that we're going to be making the right decision. So, as a rule, friend, if you haven't waited on God before you make a big decision, if you haven't sensed Him, say, Yes, this is where I want you to go, Pete, and search your own name, then Can I encourage you to keep waiting on him? As a church family here at Church in the Marketplace, as we come out of the COVID era, come out of sort of the the Christendom era, when so many churches are struggling and and numbers are down, we're seeking a new way, a new path. We're waiting on God at the moment to say, look, what would you have us do? Who would you have us be? Rather than just charging out and thinking, well, we need to run a youth group. We need to run a kids' club. No, but God, show us. Just tell us, what would you have us do? So I think a healthy sense of humility before God is, is always a good starting point. Number four, I think we fail when we are more concerned about what others think than about what God thinks. It's very telling that Moses looked this way and that he was concerned about what other people might think of him rather than what God would think. You often heard of the phrase, might have heard the phrase, to live for a, with an audience of one. You know what that means, to live with an audience of one? It means to simply live For God alone, God is your sole audience. Do not be bothered about what other people may say or think about you. The fear of man is a snare. It's a shocking thing. Every once in a while, someone will say to me, Oh, gee, Pete, you were brave to speak up on that contentious issue. And I think, well, I don't want to one day be standing before God and have him say, Pete, why didn't you tell my people the truth? You know, we have to be living for an audience of one. Set yourself free from always looking to the left or to the right, worrying about what other people think. Set yourself free from the fear of man. I think we fail also, number five, we fail when we try to cover up our sin and to hide it from God. Moses killed this guy and really tried to bury the body in the sand. And ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve tried to cover up their sin, humankind has been doing the same. Try to cover up our sin and hide it, but it's a foolish act. God knows. God sees. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says this He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Friend, confess your failings to God, confess your sin to God, hand them over, let them go, unburden yourself from your sin today. Number six, God shapes and prepares we imperfect humans. Not only does he use we imperfect, flawed humans, he also will take time to shape us and to mould us in his time and in his way. At the end of chapter two, despite his best attempts, Moses is indeed a failure. He's hated by both the Egyptians and even his own fellow countrymen. So God says, effectively says to Moses at this point, Hey Mo, go take 40 years out and I'll speak to you then. He says, Moses, go out into the desert and we'll chat then. We'll chat later. You and I, we're going to do some business a bit later on. That's next week, chapter 3. You might have heard of the famous burning bush, right? Between then and now, he's 40 years. He's already 40 years old. He's 80." He's 80 years old before he gets his famous marching orders from God to go and set my people free, right? So Moses has a time out. God says to Moses, Take another 40 years, go out in the minute, go into the desert, and then we'll talk about what it is that I want you to do for me. God was preparing, shaping an imperfect man for action. And what is he doing in this time? Well, it tells us he goes out and starts a famine, he's out tending flocks and herds. It's a humble, everyday sort of an action. Now, I'm not much of a shepherd. (laughs) I don't know much about shepherding, but God is is using this man as as a shepherd and as a husband and as a father to prepare him as a servant leader for what is to come. I'm not much of a shepherd, but I've learned a little bit about husbanding and fathering over the years. And it is quite humbling sometimes, isn't it, fellas? It can be quite a humbling thing. God is shaping this man for for leadership. He's using his time in this wilderness to teach Moses. So if your life isn't where you thought it would be, it hasn't worked out how you had planned it, know that God is working in the background. He's working in ways that we can't perceive. He's working to his own time frame. His time frame is not your time frame. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Know that he's working in your life, perhaps preparing you somewhere out there Out in Midian or perhaps maybe here in Bondi Junction. God might be preparing, raising up the next great leader of his people to bring freedom and to bring truth here in the midst of the wilderness, the wilds of the city of Sydney in 2023. And finally, just simply, I want you to know, church, just know that God knows. I love those last couple of verses. God sees, he hears, he remembers, and he knows I don't know what it is that you're going through at the moment. I don't know how long you're going to have to endure it. I I, I don't know that this side of eternity you will ever be free from it. What I do know is that God knows. I do know that God hasn't forgotten. God sees and and he hears. He hasn't stopped up his ears. He hears your cry. He hears your prayer. He knows you can trust Him, you can depend on Him to bring you liberation in His time and in His way. You're not, if not in this life, then certainly in the next. So, can I leave you with an observation? I'll leave you with an observation this morning that Moses is actually preparing us for an even greater liberator to come. Can you think, think of some parallels between Moses and another great liberator of His people? Uh, Like Moses, this liberator was driven out into the desert to prepare for what God had called him to. Not for 40 years, but for 40 days. Like Moses, he was rejected by his own people. Like Moses, he was misunderstood by those he came to save. Like Moses, they challenged his right to rule over them. And just like Moses, he also left left a very privileged position as the son of a king to to come and to be identified with a suffering people. Moses was a sojourner in a foreign land and Jesus left his heavenly home, left his heavenly father's side to come and to be, make his home with you and I. However, Moses took the life in order to save a life, but Jesus gave his life in order to save the entire world. Just like Moses, Jesus came to set his people free, but he always did it in God's time and in God's way. He offered himself as a ransom for many. He offered himself as a ransom for failures like you and I who deserve judgment, but so that we might find life and life eternal, life to the full, life overflow. Unlike Moses, Jesus was willing to die for those that he came to to save. The question before us this morning is, are you trusting in this deliverer? Are you trusting in this saviour to bring you out of slavery, out of slavery to the things of this world, out of slavery to sin and to death and into abundant eternal resurrection life? If you haven't yet made the decision to trust Jesus as your Lord, as your saviour, as your deliverer, can I encourage you to do so today. Come and see me after the service. It will be the best decision you'll ever make. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, would you please use this word today to challenge, to comfort, to bring hope. Please help us to dare to believe. Help us to act with great wisdom and discern. Help us to Know simply that you know. Help us to know that you are the same God who saved His people from slavery, in Egypt, and that you will save us as well. You will save us from our sins. But the One who seemed to be delaying for so long will show up at the right moment to bring us home. In Jesus' name, the people said, "Amen." Let's stand